Chapter 23 Later, Eric and Alex lay together beneath the thick warmth of the quilt, cocooned against the worsening storm that howled outside the bedroom window and made the timbers of the cabin creak. The sky seemed to darken by the minute, and even the large, wet snowflakes that swirled against the window pane were ash-gray and sloppy, sliding heavily down the glass in long, slow streaks. Cold drafts whistled through the walls in places, but neither Eric nor Alex noticed, or would have cared if they had. Alex lay with her head against Eric's shoulder, looking at their joined hands as he lazily traced the outline of her fingers. He entwined his fingers with hers and guided both their hands down to rest against her hip. Warmth radiated from his body to hers and from hers to his, wrapping them both in delicious heat. He brushed his lips against her hair, pressing a soft kiss on her forehead. She snuggled against him more tightly, breathing in his warm scent. But as cozy as they were, she could sense a growing unease. He was more awake than he should be, given what had just happened and how sleepily they were nestled against each other now. I hope you don't regret this, he murmured confirming the unease she'd picked up on. Why would I? She asked drowsily, stroking his arm where it lay across her waist. This is wonderful. You might regret being with me like this. She tilted her head up to look at him. He gazed back at her with darkened, gray-blue eyes, a touch of wariness and his own regret filling them. There was resignation there, too. Sadness, acceptance, and resignation. Watching him, watching his eyes roam over her face, she understood what he meant. He hoped she didn't regret sleeping with someone who had hurt her countless times and would probably do so again. Someone who couldn't give her the things she wanted. Someone who was all wrong for her. Someone who wouldn't love her not because he didn't feel it, but because he didn't want to feel it. She'd suspected this was coming. It had been too much to ask for, to make love with him so tenderly, so sensuously, and have him surrender his heart completely as well. As much as she hoped for a happily ever after with him, she knew it wasn't likely to happen in one afternoon, or in one act of lovemaking. Gazing at him, at his handsome boyish face, at the sadness that glittered in his eyes even as he smiled at her. She decided not to challenge him on his feelings for her, whatever they might be. She ran her fingers lightly over the coarse hair on his golden skin and then rested her chin on his chest. Why do you think you're irredeemable? She asked gently. He leveled his gaze at her a slight frown furrowing his brow. He blinked, and then his eyes roamed the ceiling in thought, before he looked down and began idly stroking her back. I'm just not cut out for this kind of life. That's not what I asked, she said. I want to know why you think you aren't worth saving. His frown deepened, and she could see that she was striking close to something, and for the first time... Probably since she had known him, 
she saw something rise to the surface in him, something he usually kept well hidden. Maybe it was the vulnerability of this intimate moment, or maybe his last defenses had finally been knocked down, but she could see him struggling with the need to unburden himself. She willed him to say it, whatever it was, and be free of it. To trust her with his demons, the thoughts and fears that plagued him. To know that she was the one person with whom he was completely safe. He sat up slightly, supporting himself on one elbow as he looked down at her. There's a lot you don't know about me, he said, lowering his lashes as he idly caressed her fingers. Things that would change the way you feel about me. Nothing will change the way I feel about you, she replied. You can tell me anything. His lips quirked wryly, as if this was the last thing he was prepared to believe. But when she didn't falter or press him further, just reached for him and touched him as lovingly as he was touching her, he sobered, taking her in with wide, uncertain eyes. What if you're wrong? He asked quietly. And you do end up regretting this. I will never regret a single moment I spent with you, she whispered, leaning forward to press her lips gently to his. She leaned back again and let her hand rest on his forearm. If you believe nothing else, believe that. His lashes fluttered briefly as he looked down, as if he didn't want to meet her eyes. He watched her hand caressing his arm, and spoke in barely more than a whisper. You don't know the kind of man I am, he said. He hesitated as if the words sounded wrong. The kind of man I was. And it matters. You may not think so, but it does. She soothed him with the tip of her fingers, gently gliding them over his bronzed skin and up to his chest. He glanced up at her and seemed caught by her eyes. He gazed at her, tilting his head slightly as if seeing her for the first time, his eyes soulful and reverent. He caught her hand and clutched it to his bare skin, just above the spot where she could feel the faint beating of his heart. But I do know who you are, she told him. I know what you do, and how you do it, and I know where you come from. You were a soldier, and you probably had to do a lot of things you're not proud of. She paused, seeing confirmation in the brief flaring of his eyes. She gentled her voice. You don't have to tell me if you don't want to. But nothing you say will affect how I feel about you. The change in his eyes came slowly. They grew softer somehow, like he was being transported to a different time, when he was a different man. When he was human, as he so often said. When he was alive. Only there was no nostalgia or longing in his expression, just a clouded look of remorse, of genuine pain. He lifted his eyes to her cautiously, and when he spoke it was in a voice she barely recognized. I killed a woman. She blinked, waiting for more. Nothing came. He just looked at her, his features rigid, his eyes betraying the only real vulnerability she had ever seen in him. He looked like he'd stopped breathing as he regarded her, 
fear and uncertainty sparking in his eyes. Realizing he wasn't going to say anything more until she spoke, she considered her words and spoke cautiously. In combat? Relief flashed across his face, as if he was glad that her mind had gone there first and not to some other dark place, to some assumption that his violent temper and raging hormones had caused him to lash out at a woman. As if she would ever believe such a thing about him, she thought with a pang of sympathy for his tortured mind. As if this noble, gentle man would ever be capable of something like that. On my third tour in Iraq, he said, his features loosening slightly, before I joined Special Forces. She waited, not wanting to pull the story out of him. She wanted to let him tell her in his own way, in his own time, but he was hesitating and seemed to need her encouragement to go on. She was an enemy soldier? She asked, knowing that probably wasn't true. She didn't know much about the Iraqi army, but she didn't imagine they'd employed female soldiers. She expected him to say that it had been some sort of friendly fire mishap, the kind that eroded the soul of any soldier who had to live with such an awful mistake. But the look in his eyes told her that wasn't it either. No. He cleared his throat and looked down. He hesitated again, and she could feel his arm beneath her hand grow more rigid, more tense. She was a local. She got onto the base, somehow, maybe with one of the merchants who used to set up tables and sell things, maybe some other way. I never found out how, exactly. Shame began to color his face, and so she reached out and cupped his cheek to gently urge him on. He needed to tell her this. That much was clear. She imagined the woman might have been his lover, someone he shouldn't have become involved with, someone who might have suffered the ultimate punishment for loving a U.S. soldier. But whatever was coming, he needed her to hear it, and she needed him to tell it. Go on, she said. It's okay. He looked into her eyes, scanning, assessing, his own eyes pleading to be able to tell her, but still not sure if he should. She stroked his stubbled cheek, and he moved his lips to kiss her palm before he looked down again. She came into the mess at lunch one day and started screaming, he said, reciting the words as though he'd run through them so many times it was a narrative to him now. She just stood there, in the middle of everyone. He paused, his Adam's apple bobbing, and his tone changed. It wasn't a report anymore. It was vivid and real and increasingly hard for him to say. She stood there, screaming, that she was going to blow herself up. Alex's stomach dropped. A female suicide bomber? He nodded. It's not common, but it happens. Was she for real? Alex pressed. Not so careful now, just eager to hear more. He nodded again. Very real. Her bomb vest was packed with enough C4 to blow up half the base. Jesus. Alex breathed, feeling the shock and the utter panic he must have felt. What happened? 
Chaos, he said. A wealth of brutal imagery in his one clipped word. A lot of screaming, panicking, people trying to get out of the mess, but at the same time... He paused and his eyes drifted to a different place. A far-off place. It was like time had stopped. In this weird way, it was like everything slowed right down and everything was completely still. It was eerie. And then I was back to the chaos and the shouting and the girl screaming in broken English that she was going to destroy us all. My God, Alex whispered. My sergeant was trying to talk her down, trying to edge closer to her, and a bunch of guys from my unit drew their weapons. But no one wanted to make her detonate, so all of a sudden it got very slow and quiet, like a stalemate. Nobody wanted to move. Nobody wanted to even fucking breathe. She just stood there, shaking. Tears streaming down her face, saying over and over and over again that she had to destroy us. And you were right there? Alex asked after a long moment, almost breathless. He nodded, his lashes lowered, hiding his eyes. So what happened? She asked. He swallowed. I was uh, out of her line of sight, just by chance. I was behind a support beam, and she couldn't see me clearly. So I lined her up in my sight, and... He faltered, his throat working. He gripped Alex's hand and squeezed, seeming to draw from her strength. And I shot her. Through and through, right between the eyes. He exhaled a long, serrated breath, as if the words themselves had left a turbulent wake, just leaving his mouth. He swallowed, but wouldn't lift his eyes, and she felt a slight tremor in his hand as it rested in hers. She stroked his thumb with hers and squeezed gently, willing him to look up at her so she could soothe him. But he kept his gaze down, his breathing heavy with the toll it had taken on him to reveal so much. Alex bit her lip and waited. When he didn't say anything further, she said gently, So you saved everyone? He looked up then, but his eyes were hard and dismissive. His scowl wasn't directed at her, but rather at himself, as if having saved everyone was nothing. I mean it, she said. You saved everyone's lives. You did what you had to do. You know that. She was petrified, Alexandra, he said, his eyes reflecting the pain he had felt for so many years. And she was only sixteen. We found out later she was a local girl whose brother had been killed by one of our patrols. Her name was Camila. Sixteen fucking years old. Camila. The name he had called out in his nightmare. Understanding dawned and she squeezed his arm gently, as if willing him to feel her compassion, her love for him. Eric, she said, her heart aching. I'm so sorry. But you know you had no choice. She just looked so goddamn scared, he said, more forcefully, as if he hadn't heard her. I could see it in her face, like she was part of something bigger than she'd ever expected, like 
She'd been convinced to do this and didn't know how to back out. But she might have. She might have given up. In a few more seconds, she might have just given up. Or she might have killed everyone in that room. You have no way of knowing, honey. You did the right thing. He looked at her and closed his eyes briefly. No, you don't understand. Sure I do. You can't know if the device wasn't wired right. He interrupted pointedly, his eyes closed. And the detonator was all wrong. Even if she'd pressed it, it wouldn't have gone off. Alex let her eyes close, too. Jesus Christ. Was there no end to the mental torture this man was supposed to endure? No end to the suffering, the doubt, the psychological pain? But it wasn't just that, he said tightly, and then let out a jagged breath. He opened his eyes and looked utterly lost. I've never told anyone this, but there was a moment just before I fired when she turned to look at me. She saw me at the very last second when everyone was shouting at her to put down the detonator. She understood them, I know she did, and I could see her wavering. She was so scared, Alexander. She was absolutely terrified. And I swear to God, just before I squeezed the trigger, I swear I thought her start to put the goddamn thing down. Alex tensed, feeling his whole body go rigid. I honestly don't know if she was surrendering. It all happened within the space of a fucking second, he said bitterly. A harsh, humorless laugh in his voice. <laughs> the bitch of it is, it doesn't matter if she was giving up, because I can't honestly tell you that I didn't fucking fire anyway. He pulled away from her quickly then and sat up, running his hands through his hair. So that was it, she realized. It wasn't that he had killed in combat or killed to save his fellow soldiers' lives along with his own, or even that he had killed a young woman. It was much more primal than that. He didn't know whether he'd truly fired in self-defense, or whether he'd killed in cold blood. Or as cold as blood could get in such an inhuman, soul-destroying situation as a prolonged and pointless war. Oh, honey, she said to his back, reaching to stroke his tensing muscles. You said this happened on your third tour. By that time, I'm sure you'd seen so much violence and death, you were almost immune to it. Shell-shocked by it all. I shot her, Alexander, he ground out. I killed a fucking teenage girl, and I don't even know whether I did it to save my own ass and everyone else's, or whether I did it out of pure, blind fucking rage. She bit her lip at the agony in his voice, at the recrimination, the remorse, the heaviness of the guilt he had borne for so many years. Her chest felt tight with pain for him, and she lowered her head to rest against his back. No wonder he had reacted so badly when she herself had been shot. Shot because of him, or so he'd insisted. Another woman, another bullet, another failure on his part. It must have ripped him apart, she realized, and been even harder to deal with considering the victim hadn't been a random terrorist threatening his life. It had been someone he loved. She knew it now with a certainty she had never allowed herself before. Those words of love he'd whispered to her as she bled, 
those pleas for her to stay with him, he had meant every one of them, but had only been able to say them when faced with losing her. His own tormented past wouldn't allow him to love freely, wouldn't let him love as a normal man would. He was punishing himself, torturing himself, denying himself love because he believed this one act had defined him and cast him into hell forever, damned him to a life bereft of love. He turned to look at her, his eyes shimmering with tears he wouldn't let himself shed. But the pleading look in them made her heart twist so violently she could barely breathe. She didn't want to say anything. Knowing that nothing she said, even the truth, would change the what-ifs that tormented him. But the faraway look in his eyes as they drifted from hers, the starkness in them as he relived his worst memory, made her desperate to say something. If she had been a man, what would you have done? She wasn't a man, he said, his eyes coming back to hers. I was trained to fight against soldiers and insurgents, against grown men, not terrified young girls. His answer was so practiced and flat that Alex realized he'd been through all of this before. He'd probably heard all the excuses and justifications a million times, and hadn't bought any of them. Alex looked away, not knowing how to help him. How could she make him understand? Maybe the girl had been terrified. Maybe she had been coerced into it. Maybe she hadn't been. Maybe she was as fanatical and zealous as any of her insane compatriots, and had had every intention of killing everyone in that room. Maybe, 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 all the maybes were destroying him, the maybes he had no way of turning into certainties. You didn't make the choice that day, she said gently. She did. She chose for you. She made you take the only action you could have. She made you defend yourself and your unit. And if, in a split second of chaos and terror, you fired when maybe you didn't need to, even though you'll never know if that's true, you can be forgiven for it. You should forgive yourself for it. I wasn't raised to hurt women, he said, his muscles tensing, as if that was all the pronouncement he needed to make. And in a sense, it was. She knew him so well. He was protective and caring and gentle with women, if his actions around her were anything to go by. She knew he would never intentionally harm a woman. All the times he'd asked her if he'd hurt her, all the small ways he had of being careful with her, even during their wildest lovemaking. He was always aware of his greater power and strength, even when he was at his angriest, his most lust-crazed, even at his absolute worst. It was the very reason he'd fought his attraction to her in the first place. He didn't want to hurt her physically, but he didn't even want to risk hurting her emotionally, either but it seemed pointless to merely agree with him, or to nod and say that of course his parents had raised a good son. She had to make him prove it to himself. She spoke softly. So have you killed other women? He turned to look at her, his brow furrowing. What? In civilian life, have you ever killed a woman? Or hurt one? Of course not. Have you ever wanted to? Alexandra, he said in exasperation, of course not. Well then, she said, 
You said I don't know the kind of man you are, but you're wrong. That's the kind of man you are. The kind who doesn't hurt women and doesn't want to. She ran her hand up his arm and felt him tense. He turned his back to her again and let his elbows rest on her knees, his face falling into his hands. That's who you are, she repeated gently. And that's how you should define yourself, not by what circumstances forced you to do. She kneeled behind him, wrapping her arms around his neck and kissing his ear. Don't blame yourself for other people's choices, Eric. Please. She willed him to understand, to see that she was talking about so much more than Camilla. The rage and anger that seared through him, the things his abductors had done to him, the man they had made him into. None of it was his fault. The sooner he accepted that, the sooner he might be able to heal. I'm sorry, he said tightly, his voice muffled by his hands. I'm just so sorry. Be sorry if you want, she whispered, but don't blame yourself. Forgive yourself, honey. I hate seeing you beat up on someone I love so much. He turned to her then, and his arms were suddenly around her, holding her tightly against him, so tightly she almost couldn't breathe. Then he lowered them both down on the bed and gazed down at her, his eyes shimmering. I wish I could make you see, he said, cradling her beneath him, touching her cheek with two light fingers. Camilla is the one regret I have in my life. She torments me, she invades my dreams, she haunts me, but she's the only one. I don't regret anything else because I've come to terms with who I am and what I am. I'm the one who does the dirty work no one else wants to do. The dirty work everyone else depends on to live their lives in peace. I know, she nodded. I understand. Then you must understand there's no room for emotion and entanglements and... He paused and looked down at her with mournful eyes. Love in a life like mine. I can't be who I am or do my job if I let myself feel too much. Once I let one emotion in, I'd end up letting them all in, and it would overwhelm me. You don't know that, she whispered. I let my emotions take over with Camilla. Just one time, I let my guard down. I let myself feel something, and look what it's done to me. Nearly ten years later, and I'm still seeing her in my dreams. His eyes were sad, filled with remorse and resignation. Now... After what they did to me, especially, if, if I were to let my guard down even more, if I were to try to live a normal life like a normal man. She gazed up at him and saw how urgently he wanted her to understand. But she needed him to understand something of her own. My brother used to say his love for his family was the only reason he was able to do what he did. If he had to take a life, or take part in a raid, or call in an airstrike, he reminded himself that he was doing it for the people he loved back home. Eric's brow creased into a scowl and he parted his lips to speak, but she put her fingers up to his lips to silence him. I'm not saying you have to feel the same way. Just think about it. 
Consider all the men you've ever known who do what you do and still go home to wives and families they love. Wives and families, he said sadly, running his hand over her collarbone. Do you know what the divorce rate in special forces is? You're not special forces, she protested. Not anymore. You and Nick and Aiden are out of all that now. You control your own lives. You follow your own orders. Your lives are your own again. Half-lives, she thought, even as she said it. Shadow lives of dead men who hid behind fake names and lived in an underground world of constant stress, always on high alert. She had experienced only a small taste of what it was like to have to hide the way they did, unable to contact their families or friends, unable to publicly seek out whoever it was that tried to kill them. She couldn't imagine the frustration, the anger, the sense of futility and injustice that plagued their every waking moment. But they were alive. They had each other, and they had a chance at love. Aiden had found it, and whether Eric was willing to let his heart thaw or not, he had found it too. If nothing else, he had her love. She just had to convince him somehow to let himself enjoy the one thing that no one would ever be able to rip away. Don't let someone else's choices determine your fate, she said again, gently, earnestly. It isn't right. You are who you want to be, not whatever someone else tried to turn you into. He gazed at her, silently, doubting, mutely wishing he could believe her. If you want to love me, then love me, or at least let me love you, she pleaded. You deserve it, Eric, and you can have it so easily, if only you'd reach out and take it. I wish that were true he said quietly, his hand rounding the curve of her breast and skimming down her side. You don't know how much I wish that were true. The look in his eyes was so pure, so open and unshielded. In them she could see all his doubts, all his demons, and all the emotion he swore he couldn't feel. In their blue depths she saw the sweet, poignant soul that wanted desperately to love her and to be loved by her, but couldn't bring himself to allow either. So much suffering he'd endured, and yet he was still, down to his very core, a courageous, noble, good man. And make it true, she whispered, and lifted her head to kiss him. He met her lips reluctantly at first, but he slowly sank into her, deepening the kiss. His mouth moved over her slowly, lazily. She ran her hand along his stubbled cheek and into his hair. She cupped his face gently as they kissed. Thorough, searching, tongues stroking, lips lingering, they kissed each other tenderly, small sounds of pleasure and affection escaping their lips. At times, she would lead the kiss, guiding his head down to hers and claiming his mouth was sensuous, sweeping strokes of her tongue, and then he would take command, claiming her mouth possessively, pouring his very soul into every sweet, sensual touch of his lips. He slid into her again, quietly, tenderly, and began to move. 
It wasn't the frenzied passion of their previous lovemaking, not the urgent joining of a couple mad with lust for each other. Instead, it was slow and delicious, as though their bodies were made to fit together. As if he simply wanted to be inside her, to feel himself buried deep within her, connected to her in this most blissful, simple, fundamentally human way. She lay beneath him, accepting, warming around him, embracing him as he moved with deliberate, exquisite strokes, and kissed her deeply. She caressed his back, letting her fingers trail over the muscled landscape with all the gentleness and love she could express. She kissed him sweetly, then passionately, then turned her head when he nudged her chin and let him trail his lips over the column of her neck. It was nirvana, this slow, sweet lovemaking, this gentle union of their bodies and souls. When she finally reached her peak, she nestled her mouth against his shoulder and gasped out a muted cry, high and aching, as the pleasure crashed over her in slow, steady waves. She felt his release tremble through him, heard her name as he breathed against her ear, his low, helpless moan of pleasure, lost in the strands of her hair. Alexander, he breathed again, pressing his lips to the skin below her ear. He stilled, murmuring her name over and over again, in a quiet benediction, a reverence that was almost like a prayer. And it was the last thing she heard before they both drifted off to sleep. <laughs>